Support for Food Friday Leftovers comes from Berkshire Co-op Market, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, a community-owned natural grocery store dedicated to sustainable agriculture, the local economy, and the environment. Working within the community to better Berkshire County, one basket at a time. Berkshire.coop. Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. We have got a beautiful and delicious honey cake in the fridge. We are speaking with Josh Croner of Terrapin Restaurant. Hi, how are you guys doing? Agnes Devereaux of the Village Tea Room in New Paltz. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And Devin Gilroy of the Corner Restaurant in Tivoli. So I have to just describe this cake because we are in a podcast. I'm going to share a picture of it. But it has the cutest little chocolate bees on it, and it has a honeycomb design, and it's so petite and delicious, and I need some. (laughs) Can you tell us more about it? I know you talked about it on the um, Vox Pop episode a little bit. Sure. So um, if you see inside, it's an orange chiffon cake. So a chiffon cake is made with oil instead of butter. And we do that because we have this really incredibly rich buttercream on the outside. So we didn't want it to be an overload of butter. Uh, We use grapeseed oil and a little bit of orange zest. And then the filling is apricot preserves. I think apricot and honey is a really great combination together. And then the buttercream is a classic buttercream. People often think that the recipe on the back of the Domino's confectioner's sugar box is (laughs) buttercream. (laughs) But actually, um, buttercream is when the sugar is a syrup before it's added and um, because there's no uh, grittiness at all. Oh. Uh, but instead of sugar, we use honey. So we bring honey to a full rolling boil, and then we pour it over egg yolks that we're whisking at a high speed. Uh, when we pour that on, it basically pasteurizes those egg yolks. And then we put in a lot of butter, Cabot <laughs> sem- uh, unsweetened uh, cream butter. And the whole thing just comes together in this very kind of voluptuous, smooth, creamy, um, not too sweet buttercream. I'll confirm that. And then <laughs> <laughs> we have a very secret method of creating the honeycomb, which we don't tell anybody. Oh so boy. an eight-year-old walked in one day and went da 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 da, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then that's glazed in apricot glaze. It looks like honey, but in fact, we discovered that when you poured honey over the top, it all just fell in a puddle on the sides. So um, the apricot glaze sort of mimics the idea of honey. It on does it. look like honey too. And we used to have marzipan bees, but but I'm not a big fan of marzipan, so we figured out a way to make these little chocolate truffle bees with the uh, white chocolate stripes and the almond wings. Well, and that's adorable. someone's very tedious it. job making those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy that you did it for us. You're welcome. <laughs> chocolate truffles are always a good thing to throw on something. Yeah. Oh, I want to ask you guys where your menus come from for Restaurant Week. Do you try to do something different? Do you change them up from year to year? I guess we can start with Josh and go down the line. What I try to do with my restaurant week menu, and and we're kind of coming into the spring season, but we're still really in winter. So, Unfortunately. you know, it's more, and I do change my menu seasonally. I'm, you know, always trying to keep everything from the Hudson Valley on the menu that I can. So, it's, but it's more of a winter menu, and I try to have it pretty large so people have a selection. I have, I think, over eight choices of both appetizers and entrees, so... There's a wide range, stuff that's on the menu normally and other stuff that I make just for Restaurant Week. 
Nice. Uh, this year, for the first time, we are offering our entire dinner menu for Restaurant Week. So any appetizer, any entree, and any dessert. And the reason for that was last Restaurant Week, even though we saw a large uptick in business, people came for Restaurant Week, but then they ordered off our regular menu. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, that looks good, but I prefer to have that. So then we thought, well, let's just give them that if that's what people want. So this year, that's what we're doing. Yeah, this is our first um, uh, Restaurant Week that we're taking part in and um for me i'm always changing the menu um it's really like you know what our farmers are updating us with and what's coming in from greenhouses really like we don't you know there's nothing really so if people that, aren't expecting like a certain thing they kind yeah. of just... it's almost it's almost different for me to have something on the menu that's going to be the same for two weeks you know for this restaurant right. you know we we always have the chicken on the menu and um uh, th- that's pretty much our signature, so we wanted to offer that with the restaurant restaurant week menu. But um, other than that, I mean, we we could change our our menu, you know, thirty percent of it every week. And um, so it's been it's been kind of fun to say, okay, this is going to be the dish that we'll have for the next two weeks, and and if it does really well, maybe we'll hold it for longer. And um, kind of slowed me down a little bit, but it's also nice to have a thoughtful presentation that's that's beautiful and affordable. You know, it's funny because this is something that you guys have been going for three years now. Is that right? Yeah, almost three years. Um, I have a problem that I and I envy your position in the sense that as a chef, I love to change things and I love to put new things on. And I'm sure, Agnes, you can understand what I'm talking about. There's so many things that become these signature dishes on their own mm-hmm. where people expect to have them. Right. So I'm right. like, OK, you know, can't change the tuna now. Can't change the pork chop. Okay. Can't change the short rib. People mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Now I can't change this salad. I can't change that. Yep. And when you take them off, you have like this mini revolt. You're like, no, I want to change it. I want to do something new. And people are just angry. And you're like, oh, we've yeah. talked about that with Rick Orlando when he's been on, where he said like, there's a certain part of the menu that you can't take away. Yeah, and that it gets, people will come and right, expect. and it gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. You know, you hit on something really good, and then that becomes this new signature dish and I find like my menus getting so boxed in because of that but there's certain things that I feel like if I take them off you know I'm going to get a real uh, revolt of customers (laughs) that's what they're there for yeah but you know what happens is people make a reservation and they're thinking oh I'm going to have that and then they're thinking about it and then they're driving there and they're thinking oh yeah I'm going to have that to start and then I'm going to have that and then they get there and you've taken it off the menu and they just get really pissed off that's exactly (laughs) what happens (laughs) I know it's boring, but I love your hamburgers. So if if I went to Terrapin and then I was well, like, I will not take hamburgers. <laughs> off. You know, the hamburgers. It's actually interesting because I I had a small fine dining restaurant in West Hurley before I opened up the one in Rhinebeck, and that was destination dining. I only did fine dining. It was only open for dinner. Didn't have anything like a hamburger, and I always wanted to, even though I'd been a fine dining chef my whole career, make a hamburger because it's one of my favorite foods. <laughs> so when I got to the Terrapin and Rhinebeck, I had a separate side where I did hamburgers, and it was like th- my biggest pride to be able to put together a burger, which you know yeah, I can really awesome. be proud of. That's but. awesome. Next time I'm going to order one. Next time you come on, have you bring it? <laughs> if I don't eat it on my way up, it's a long <laughs> drive, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So I want to ask, you said you change, You put a little bit on your menu that's just there for restaurant week. Do people want those? Well, we always have specials. And, you know, so specials will be a certain percentage of sales. But, like, for example, I brought the maple brine pork chop, and that's the biggest seller in restaurant week because it's our signature dish, and it's known for something that we do every restaurant week. So that's going to fly out the door no matter what we do. Gotcha. So, and you're putting your full menu on there. Yeah. 
Do you have like specials that you're going to put on there or is it just the No, we're just we're doing our full menu. We already do a prefix menu which is you know, like uh, we have a different thing Monday night, Tuesday night. Sorry, we're closed Mondays, Tuesday night, <laughs> Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever every week at the same time. So people come in because they know Thursday night is ballycott and fish pie or whatever. Gotcha. Um it's been interesting because the big sellers are steak and cod. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> so far this week, that's what's going on. Well, a good steak is hard to turn down, for sure. Yeah, we I'd use Hudson Valley that. Cattle Company steak. It's great. Devin, you use uh, cattle, uh, Hudson Valley Cattle Company also? I use Kinderhook Farm, actually. Yeah. Um, but I have used them, and I like them. You know, it's an interesting story, the Hudson Valley Cattle Company, and it started from the meat distributor, Nat Kagan. And this is kind of like a history of like how things have changed in the valley. When I first came up here in the late 90s, nobody even knew what antibiotic-free meat was. Mm. And I started, you know, I came up from the city and people were already talking about it down there. So I asked Nat Kagan for antibiotic-free meat and they brought some in. And then I started to say, why are there no local farms? Why can't you just buy from local farms? Because they, they wouldn't sell to restaurants. It was all done wholesale. So through pressure from me and other chefs they just put together the hudson valley cattle company themselves and because it was chef pressure and then that kind of transfers to the customers because they see that in the restaurants and then now it's showing up in local markets and that sort of thing and that's kind of how the whole movement starts Mm -hmm. first in restaurants then the consumer demand puts it into supermarkets and you know it becomes more widespread yeah, I, d- I think f- for me, part of the reason moving up here was uh, we'll, we'll bring in a, a steer once a month. Or we'll bring in a couple whole lambs or, or a pig and we'll make all our own sausages. And, you know, when you have a thousand pound animal in front of you and, you know, like a hanger steak, there's only one hanger steak <laughs> per cow, right. you know. So if you have, you know, if you run a hanger steak, you're you're, you know, that's many animals. So for me, I, you know, I bring in a, a, a steer and I'll break it down. And like part of changing my menu is, is we'll work through the animal from the chuck to the short rib, the back strap, the filet, and then to the sirloin. And that takes, you know, a lot of skill on the cook's part. And, um, you know, it's lo- like, luckily for me, being in the Hudson Valley, people love food so much. So it's easy yeah. to find people, whether they're farmers or, um, just passionate cooks to get them in the kitchen and then train them up. And then next thing you know, they're bringing something. Right. I mean, I know what you're saying, but there's such a demand for loin cuts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I totally agree with you. Like, you know, and I, I I like that too. You know, I like, I mean, more often than getting a half a a steer, I'm going to get a half of a pig. Right. Because it's easier for me to work with that. But you know, you're still going to need pork chops. Is there a process to it? Because I know you talked about going in a particular order. Is that something that is a standard across the board or is it just the way you do it? It's just the way I do it. Oh, you okay. You know, like a, I may get a steer in and then, you know, you do all the um, skirt and flank steaks first. And that's what I would sell. I would sell those and I would dry age the rib racks, dry age the porterhouse, the, the flat iron, or I'll hang you know, really the chuck, or maybe I'll, I'll pull the brisket off and we'll brine the brisket. Um, you know, and it, it, it's just very interesting. It's also your, 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 you have a dialogue with your customer about, you know, what is a, what is a chuck plate, you know, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people, you hear chuck plate and you're like, oh, I don't know. doesn't sound delicious. No. But really what it is, is <laughs> a continuation of the rib up into the, up into the, into the chest. Oh. So you have that short, that short rib quality 
And you could take that and essentially prepare that in the same way as you would short ribs. Well, Chuck's delicious meat. Yeah, in fact, you commented delicious. on my hamburgers, Burger. and it's yep. 100% Chuck meat is what I use. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of part of the success, I think, to consistency with burgers is to use the cut that not like. And this is kind of very common, especially in smaller uh butchers to just throw everything together and you're going to end mm-hmm. up with a very inconsistent hamburger that way and you want right. it to be the same you want everything to be the same mm-hmm. but so chuck is the best for burgers chuck period, is or del- well you know what that's not true okay i'm just asking you know what chuck actually is the best for me for hamburgers it makes an excellent burger short rib makes an incredible burger but it's also a, an incredibly expensive burger mm. you know so you have to balance out the price versus um you know what you're actually getting and chuck's fine you know round which is the leg meat so top round that's very commonly used for for hamburgers mm-hmm. very dry because it's not a very fatty meat so if you're going to use round you know uh, top round particularly which is very common in in supermarkets because you want to see that 90 10 which people will like oh that's healthier 95 5 which is always going to be round it doesn't have much flavor because there isn't that fat that you're used to but you know, there's a lot of considerations when you're talking about how to how to process an entire cow, mm-hmm. and the best way to go through it. And certain cuts, certainly the shank and that sort of thing. You know, how are you going to use that? And there's two basic ways to cook meat, which would one would be to have it in a braised situation where you're going to break down all the connective tissue, and the other is going to be to cook it so that it's cooked to a temperature, like a steak. So you you can't have like it's hard to cook a chuck steak unless you butcher it correctly. So you get all the tendons and everything that's chewy, and that's the problem with chuck. It's not that it's bad meat. It's delicious yeah. meat. It's just surrounded with fat and connective tissue, so it's it's a little... It makes a great burger. Oh, yeah, it does make <laughs> That is just the burger cut. And I, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I stand by that, well, too. Well, that is the thing with the whole nose-to-tail eating. You need skills to do right. it. Uh, you need cooking skills because most people's um, approach to meat is to put it on a grill and flip it and eat it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it when it comes to meat for some like most home cooks. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to use all the animal and organs, you know, you need to have some cooking skills. And I think it would be great to see people promoting more the kind of um, inexpensive cuts of meat that need some coaxing to be delicious. Well, you know, I hate to interrupt and hijack this conversation once again, but <laughs> it would be a shame in this podcast not to get to Agnes's honey cake. <laughs> I know. I started with the it honey would really, cake. It would, we I, really should get back to that. Let me just I, say I one just... more thing on the end of that. <laughs> If anyone wants a good cut of meat, go out to these restaurants during restaurant week. Okay. okay so <laughs> now we can move on. Is there a knife? I'll cut some for you. Finally, honey cake. <laughs> <laughs> Did we bring a knife? Yeah, the knife's over on Right, there's right in oh, here. Okay. you got to unwrap them, I think. Only the best around here. (laughs) I'll just put it in my hand. I mean, I've I've had it already. I know how good it is. It is honey, though. It's very sticky. We have napkins. Oh, napkins. That'll do. No shame. (laughs) Eating honey cake off a napkin. You're going to need the napkin. (laughs) Anyway, so. I think I'm going to eat it off a dirty napkin. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say I'm not counting, but this is Josh's third slice. (laughs) (laughs) And a fourth, if you let me. Well, Here, give this one. The oh, apricot I, I have a, is so good. It complements the honey really well. Definitely. I feel like it's yeah. like Absolutely. your birthday cake when you get a bee on it. You're like, oh, it's yeah. exciting. Well, you know, at the restaurant when we serve it, everybody gets two bees. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I need this cake in my life. 
This makes an amazing wedding cake. Now you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's moist and it's dense, but it's light at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the structure of it is kind of um, firm. It's not like spongy, but yeah. it's not um, too heavy. That's delicious. And we also brought our chocolate Guinness cake, which is our <laughs> St. Patrick's Day March month. And that's a Guinness cake with chocolate um, Guinness ganache glaze and a stout creme anglaise and Ronnie Brook whipped cream. The one Ray wanted to know if he could drive home after eating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just lots of flavor, not a lot of alcohol. <laughs> so will you guys be eating at each other's restaurants or different restaurants during the week? I would actually definitely like to try both of these restaurants <laughs> because having tried what I've tried today has uh, piqued my curiosity for sure. Well, when I first moved here uh, 16 years ago and my kids were little, the only restaurant we took the children to was Terrapin's Bistro. Thank you. So we, we ate there a lot. <laughs> I can see why. Yeah, because there was something for everybody. That's what we loved about it, because the kids could be happy, and we'd be happy, and I could have a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have kids, so that's kind of how I tried to uh, design it that way. When yeah. you have you. kids and you go out, the parent needs to be able to have a cocktail. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the rule. It's the unspoken rule of parenting and taking children to restaurants. Yeah. And your husband has to be the designated driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I want to go to Devin's restaurant for restaurant week. Though I rarely get out for restaurant week, I feel like I rarely escape the half acre that I'm on in New Pulse in the first place. But <laughs> oh, I'm right there <laughs> Make an exception. <laughs> yeah. Even, even being here, I, I'm looking at that clock on the wall. <laughs> it's Friday and it's 3.30 and I'm not in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah, that is kind of that unnerving. Is, yeah, that's the, uh, <laughs> you know, let's hope training is going well. <laughs> hmm. I love my guys, but, you know, I always have that just, you know, all it takes is under-seasoning or over-seasoning something. Or yep. um, we're doing, we have a terrine that we've been, it's a three-day process on a terrine that we have. And, um, like, I play around with a little bit of Hudson Valley foie gras. And, um, you know, so we've... We clean this foie gras, we marinate it, and uh, we cure it overnight, and then we marinate it in muscat, and then we layer it in um, this really traditional style. I, I worked at a French restaurant in the in the city called Chanterelle for years, and um, and this is like David's signature terrine that I've been running and calling David's terrine, and it's just like I love making it, and um, so it's uh, it's filled with these uh, plump golden raisins and then rolled in black pepper. But today is the day that that, mm, that, that foie gras gets layered, and they layer those raisins, <laughs> and they bake it. And, you know, if you know about foie gras, you know it's not, it's, uh, it can be a little pricey. So ten, <laughs> 10 minutes in the oven, longer than you need, and, and it's just, you basically just have melted foie gras. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's going on right now? Uh, hopefully it's going on well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good time to transfer into, uh, if you guys have any funny stories from cooking or your restaurants or anything crazy restaurant week stories well i did get an email for a woman who said that she saw i served breakfast as well and she wondered what my restaurant week breakfast menu was <laughs> <laughs> what'd you say i was like oh the breakfast menu isn't on three course uh, breakfast that's a, <laughs> a big breakfast now what would that entail no well, it could start with some oatmeal, then you could have a frittata, and you could finish with the spoon bread. 
I'm in. Halfway through, <laughs> when halfway breakfast through the second round, I'd be falling asleep because I'd be so full, I think. Be nap time. Mm-hmm. All right, well. We're, we're being tight with our uh, secret stories. I guess so. <laughs> Trying not to incriminate anybody. We'll try them at you next names. time. Yeah. Yeah, we, just, we just tell those when we're in the walk-in. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, thank you guys for coming in. I appreciate thank it. And bringing you. all this lovely food. Thank, thank My you pleasure. for having us. Thanks for having us. That was Josh Croner of Terrapin Restaurant in Rhinebeck. Agnes Devereaux with the Village Tea Room in New Paltz, and Devin Gilroy of the Corner Restaurant in Tivoli. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge. <laughs>